Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening in. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing Waldorf toys with one of my absolute most favorite guests, Megan Wilson of Whole Family Rhythms. This episode has a bunch of great resources, so be sure to check out the show notes page at waldorfy.com forward slash Waldorf toys. You can also check out a list of my favorite Waldorf toys at waldorfy.com forward slash favorite toys. A very special thanks to our Waldorfy podcast supporter, Palumba. Palumba believes that imaginative, open-ended play with simple toys crafted from beautiful, natural materials offers children warmth and a sense of well-being when discovering their world. You'll get to hear me speak a little bit more about Palumba later in this episode. Before we get started, I just wanted to quickly remind you of how you can support the Waldorfy podcast. You can go to wherever you get your podcasts and write a positive review. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do this. You can share Waldorfy on social media and tell all your friends and family about the show. I received a lot of messages from parents who found that the show is a great way to inform the people in their lives about this whole Waldorf thing. I would so love for you to check out our Patreon page. Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself to create content that you love with a small monthly contribution. The Waldorfy podcast is a free resource for parents and those interested in Waldorf education and anthroposophy, but free doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> it would mean so much to me if you would consider becoming a supporter. If you want to learn more about how you can support the podcast on Patreon, please visit waldorfy.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I cannot begin to express to you how much I really appreciate all your support of the podcast. Okay, let's get to introducing you to my guest, Megan. Megan has been a guest on the show three times. Megan is the founder and educator behind Whole Family Rhythms. She's a mother to four beautiful souls and a grateful, loving wife to Brad. After living 10 years in Sydney, Australia, they have recently put down new roots in the Canadian countryside just outside of Toronto. Megan began to document her journey as a mama to young children on her blog almost 10 years ago at wholefamilyrhythms.com. Megan offers a range of digital guides, courses, and one-on-one coaching to support parents in their striving towards a more holistic and conscious way of parenting. On her website, she hopes to connect holistic parents with each other and parenting experts from all around the globe. Well, thank you for joining me again, Megan. I'm so so glad to have you on the show again. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor. So today we're going to be talking about Waldorf toys and the materials that Waldorf toys are made out of. Uh, This is uh, a season where I think a lot of people are thinking about gifts and gifts maybe that other family members may be giving their children and trying to also be conscious of the environment and that sort of thing. So I really wanted to cover an episode, especially in talking about Waldorf in the home on Waldorf toys. So let's start with, I guess, the most basic question which is, what is a Waldorf toy? <laughs> yeah, when I saw this question, I thought, what really, what is a Waldorf toy? And um, immediately I went back to anything that Steiner said about toys, because we, we have this idea of what Waldorf is. And sometimes there are very, there were actually very little indications from Steiner himself, especially for early childhood. So starting with him, well, he, he was the founder of Waldorf, and that's where it all began. He said in a few different speeches, just just a few things about toys. So he did say, most importantly, that toys should really kindle the imagination of living things in a proper way. So that's actually a quote, kindles the imagination of living things in how living things work in a proper way. For me, that really means toys that are useful and, you know, represent some tools that maybe caregivers also use, uh, also toys that are open-ended. So they really, children are able to take them up and imagine any scene, not a toy that is like a very specific object that they can only use for a very specific type of play. And he said, ideally, they were not too finished and perfect. And he gave an example of like building blocks and perfect dolls. So uh, if you imagine back then, I think there were these like perfectly carved um, building blocks that he thought, you know, weren't as helpful for the imagination as were what what now exists in a lot of Waldorf schools are these the big tree blocks. So they're different shapes, they're different sizes, 
you know, it's a bit trickier to balance them and build things with them, but they um, are so much more open-ended than those plain square blocks. And then he said he, he wasn't a fan of perfect dolls. And I think at the time those dolls, those very beautiful dolls that were like... I'm thinking of like, like the Victorian dolls, kind of. Yeah, like the porcelain. Like the perfect lips. Yes, yes. Those were coming out and he didn't like those at all because they didn't leave enough imagination to the child. And he encouraged those dolls that were made of handkerchiefs, like just a simple cloth that the child could take up and, you know, really imagine the emotions of the doll and take care of it. And it was all in their imagination as opposed to this perfectly built thing. So, and that was like really the only other thing that he said about toys that I know of. He did love the picture books. There, I, I saw a lot more of them when I was a child. I don't see them as much anymore, but they're these beautiful picture books and they kind of have two layers and then a string attached to the picture and you can pull the string and like a little window will open and another image appears. And he did actually like those because he said that they would transform a dead picture into like a representation of living action. So that's something interesting to consider. I know, uh, you know, picture books, some of the most beautiful picture books are ones without words. And that is another example of how children can kind of take in, you know, almost drink in those images, but still there's a little bit of mystery and imagination left there for the child to look at the pictures and come up with their own story. So that's that's really what Steiner said about toys in a nutshell. But when I think of a Waldorf toy um, and a Waldorf kindergarten environment or toys at home, I think of toys that nourish the senses. They're soft. They're beautiful. They make natural sounds, like when you bang two little blocks together, or, you know, sometimes there's bells, you know, there's, I mean, real bells. So there's not this, the digital sounds and buttons, and there's no plastic really in a Waldorf kindergarten. And yeah, they're, they're just these like beautiful toys that are very open-ended and simple, and they inspire imagination in the children. I think it's interesting that Steiner founded Waldorf Education 100 years ago, and some of these thoughts around toys seem really forward-thinking. Like we use the term open-ended play, like something that inspires open-ended play. I mean, that was to now that's so it's so used, you know, it's so common. You, you even if you don't know anything about Waldorf education, you hear that term and you're a parent, you know, it's come across your into your sphere at some point, probably. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that in this aspect, Steiner was really progressive and forward thinking in his willingness and his uh, understanding of childhood development and understanding that children need these kinds of toys? I think he was progressive and at the same time, like, old-fashioned in the way he saw the value in simplicity and somehow along the way in our very materialistic age when we became we just became over consumers we forgot you know how the really simple things are the most important for children and somehow we dragged our children into this consumerist idea that more is better and that yeah just that that more 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 is better whereas actually a corn husk doll is uh, inspires so much more imagination than one of those perfect porcelain dolls that children can't even really play with because their parents are afraid they might break it right and we haven't touched on this yet but there's an interesting aspect in i would say almost all the toys you may see in a waldorf kindergarten or Waldorf early childhood room. And that is, they're almost all made of natural materials. Mm -hmm. And that is obviously super eco-friendly. I mean, you will not walk into a Waldorf kindergarten and see anything plastic. I can't, I mean, in our little early childhood room, I can't think of a single plastic thing in the entire room, which I think plastic is an interesting and helpful invention to humankind in many ways, but mm -hmm. obviously it doesn't break down. It's, there are some issues with, you know, it's, it's not the most sustainable material to be making things out of. And I wonder <laughs> if Steiner thought of that at all in his talking about toys, because that's definitely a thing within the Waldorf kindergarten classroom and across the board when we're discussing Waldorf toys is that they are made of these natural materials that feel so nice, you know, when you hold mm -hmm. and play with them, wood, wool, cotton, silk. Yeah. Silk is a good, uh, good example. So do you think that he, he had, or did you, do you know that he said anything about that specifically about the natural material aspect of toys? 
I don't know if he said anything specifically himself, but I did. I was talking to one of my mentors about toys and how they were natural materials. And and I thought it was really, I mean, it is for nourishing the senses. Um, You know, they feel so nice on the skin. They're beautiful. And yes, they have that eco-friendly aspect. But what she pointed out to me, which I hadn't quite considered before, is that when you take, make a toy out of a natural object, it has been ensold in the past is the word that she used, which I thought was really beautiful. So when you think of wool, it has come from a living animal. When you think of silk, it was made by these living animals. know, wood is from a a living plant. So all of these natural things have actually been insold. And in some way, you know, she described that it really nourishes the child's soul because, yeah, they have been like living, real living things. And I guess the exception to that would be stones and rocks. Which also make amazing playthings on their own. Yes. (laughs) I just want to share a quote here. It's a quote by Joan Almond. Anyone that's A-L-M-O-N. Joan Allman. Um, and anyone in many people in the Waldorf community know who I'm talking about. She actually passed away this past summer, I believe. Um, it's yeah. a sad loss for the Waldorf community. But she said, a good toy is 90% child and 10% toy. And I wanted to share mm-hmm. this in this episode because I feel like that embodies my own personal experience of Waldorf toys when I was a little kid and my experience playing in a Waldorf classroom and outside uh, the Waldorf classroom outdoors. I mean, we, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, we would make dolls of snow. It's snowing right now outside. And I can remember making little snow babies and mm-hmm. <laughs> taking care of them, making little snow beds for them. Um, and how really it's amazing what kids can come up with on their own. And I think that that's one of the things that I wanted to, I guess, bring up and touch on in this episode is that, There's so many, and I love sharing them on social media too, so many beautiful photos of like Waldorf toy inspiration, you know, and all the amazing things you can buy. But really, especially with all these toys being made of natural materials, there are also so many amazing things that you can make. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. you can learn to work with wood and learn to knit and learn to crochet and learn to sew. I mean, my mom is, was the worst. So I feel so bad saying this. She wasn't the best sewing (laughs) person, you know, but she learned how to make a Waldorf doll for us with my sisters and I, when we were little and it is doable and, you know, you can get less expensive materials. And I just wanted to share that with parents as well in this episode, just that they are accessible and many of these things can be made um, on your own too. Even just something simple. I shared a friend of mine, um, Jessica, she uh, does a Waldorf toy making tutorial videos and she makes these beautiful, simple toys that parents can make for their children, which is just Mm -hmm. so sweet. So we talked about open-ended play What kind of play are Waldorf toys meant to excite? Kind of, can we get a little specific? Some parents, open-ended play still may be like a term they are not understanding fully. So what what do you see? I mean, you have four children and you've obviously had Waldorf toys in your home and been in Waldorf kindergarten. So what kind of play specifically do you see happen uh, with these open-ended toys? Yeah, so it goes back to that idea of imaginative play and... They are toys that are just, they're not fixed. So an example I would have from our home, I think I've mentioned it in one of your past episodes, is just that of all the toys we have, I'd say our silks have been played with the most for the longest time. And I think that is because they are so open-ended. They can become tents and roofs. They can become scarves and capes. They can become tails and like... um, attachments for trains and then they kind of become almost webs that they they weave in and out of things uh <laughs> i'm sure i'm missing so many examples i think they... when i was a kid i learned how to braid with silks actually yeah. <laughs> my my friend tied three and she taught me how to braid in the silks mm-hmm. which is fun they can become baby carriers yeah um, little slings. Like slings yeah and so that is such a beautiful example of an open-ended toy. And so we have the silks that are these beautiful Waldorf, this beautiful Waldorf toy. But you could also, you know, sheets are another example of that, a bigger example of that. And children love playing with sheets and pillows if you let them, you know, they love building cubbies and making big tents with them. 
And so that kind of play is imaginative because, uh, you know, they could be a cat with a tail one minute and then the tail falls out and then the other child, you know, has another idea for the silk and then it just transforms the play into something else. Whereas if you have, you know, a, a big bird or a Mickey Mouse toy that has like a few buttons and it sings a few songs, really the only thing that they can play with that toy is, I guess, listen to the songs and maybe hold the Mickey Mouse or the Big Bird and I don't know, feed it maybe, maybe they would get get that imaginative. But I don't even think so, because if it's playing songs, or I guess the Elmo would be a good example. That's a a toy, a really popular toy, the singing Elmo. Really, they're just going to let it sing and it, it doesn't really do anything else. So it loses its novelty quickly. It doesn't inspire imagination at all. And, it, and it's, it's expensive. <laughs> so to compare, you know, buying these battery operated toys versus or, or toys with lots of parts where you need every single part to put it together perfectly. Otherwise, that toy doesn't, you know, take form or work well. That's another example of something that's not very open ended at all. So you would compare Legos with um, wooden blocks. And I'm not really anti-Lego. I know that there are so many children in the world that adore Lego and many mothers who believe it's really helped their children to learn how to build things and create things and follow instructions. And I do agree to a certain extent. My children have not been totally without Lego, but I do find that it is very close-ended and it doesn't really inspire a lot of imagination. It's more about building a specific thing. And so when my children were in a phase where they were receiving Lego from a lot of people, I would they would build the thing and enjoy that building, but they would never play with the little truck that they made or the fire engine that they made. And then when they grew tired of looking at that truck, I'd take it apart and I'd take away all the close-ended pieces, and then I'd just keep the basic Lego blocks so that at least, um, you know, when they were playing with Lego, they were able to kind of recreate their own masterpieces without thinking that they had to then make the the truck again, if you follow. It's interesting. I have memory of having Legos as a kid, and it kind of was the same thing. I feel like the toys that I remember as a child generally, and this is kind of a good answer to the question I've asked my audience, you know, what do you want to know about Waldorf toys? What are your questions? And something somebody brought up was, well, do kids actually play with them? And I think that there's kind of, because they're natural materials and they're less fully formed, a lot of us who grew up in the like late 70s, 80s, early 90s, had such fully formed toys, you know, mm-hmm. and our parents like kind of took pride in like the new brightest, shiniest, like light up thing when we were kids. So we have less, we identify a little bit less with, with those toys than maybe our parents did. Like my dad is one of nine kids and he was the youngest and the toys were so beat up by the time he kind of came around. He has so many memories of just being in his backyard and like making things and playing yeah. in the backyard. I mean, yeah. a lot of us do as well. Like, I, sh- I shouldn't say like we didn't have any experience playing with natural things growing up in the 80s, but I think parents are wondering how much kids do play with these open-ended toys and natural material, toys of natural materials if they had a choice between options made of plastic or more fully formed to- toys, an example being Legos. Mm-hmm. Um, and to answer that, I guess just an anecdote from my own experiences, I remember the toys that were the m- most fully formed, I would say I played with the least amount of minutes, if that makes any sense. It's not that I maybe had less fun or, but like you're saying, it really just didn't inspire as much if that makes any sense. It really, it was like the thing that they did is what you did with it. It's exactly like you're saying. And then that was kind of it. And then you Mm -hmm. have, and then the thing is you have this thing in your house and it's taking up space and it's, um, yeah, it just, it, they were not played with as much as the toys of natural materials, especially in the earlier years for sure. Definitely. And I would say to the parents who are asking if they really play with them, you know, I think that my kids play the most with the open-ended toys and the least with the, even the Waldorf toys I have, you know, I have some beautiful formed wooden dolls, like those little um, miniature sized dolls and animals. And I would say that those get played with the least because they are so formed. Um, You know, if they are going to play and another example would be I have the, mm-hmm. the Ostenheimer um, wooden dolls 
And then I have little gnomes that are just like the peg dolls with the round wooden heads and a triangular body. And I'd say that the, the gnomes with no faces that are just like simpler get played with more than the Ostenheimer dolls that have these faces and they're very formed and they're wearing like a specific outfit. Because again, they just naturally gravitate to these toys where they can create the imagination as opposed to already having like something set in front of them. And touching on things that parents have asked me about Waldorf toys, I had somebody ask me about Waldorf early childhood classroom or Waldorf kindergarten, them going in and their experience being that the toys in the room were maybe more geared toward like fine motor skills. Like there weren't as many big, huge, climby things in the room. Do you know if there's any reasoning for that? I noticed in our, because my son is like a climbing animal. He just, mm. he will climb all day. It's funny because our little parent and child class, they're just, he's 18 months and there are like five other girls in the class and him and one little boy, but he hasn't come as much. Um, and he runs, he, it's very interesting how he plays in the room compared to how he plays with it at, at home. And I wonder if it's kind of inspired by, um, like at home, he has these little babies he doesn't play with as much because he's running around and throwing things more of the time and climbing up on chairs, but he loves <laughs> playing with the babies there. I don't know what it yeah. is. He loves, and he loves trying to pretend to feed them and he doesn't really do that at home as much. Anyway, so do you know if that's kind of a thing or is that just our classroom? Because this, this uh, parent mentioned this to me and then I kind of observed as well oh, in our space uh, in our classroom, we don't have as much to climb on. Remind me again how old your son is. He's he, like he's 18 old. months old. Oh, he's 18. He's so young. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why. Because they're still really young. And I think more than anything, it's like a safety thing in the classrooms. So I don't know if you've peeked into the kindergartens. I mean, it does depend on the school and the space and the actual, even the, the teacher. Every teacher is so different at our school. The three kindergarten teachers, their classrooms are very different. But I'd say in like a preschool nursery or a parent and child, they don't have a lot of opportunities for climbing inside because you know, there's a limited amount of space and the children are so small and some children are very capable on their feet and others are really just starting to find their sense of balance. Whereas in kindergartens, often you will find those cubby, those, those tree houses that are like on a second level. Oh yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's uh, a ladder or stairs up and then there's often, you know, big pillows and huge blocks. Uh, it depends really on the teacher. There's one teacher at our school that, you know, she really makes an effort to provide materials where the children have to lift heavy things and tall things and maneuver and climb. And that's kind of her choice and her style. So I think it depends on the teacher. Uh, and and I would say that the, the teachers of the younger children, if they don't have a lot of opportunities for climbing and balancing inside, as a Waldorf teacher, teacher, I'm sure that they are thinking of how the children will be climbing and balancing outside to balance that out. Yeah. So I know with my own parent and child group, I don't, there are not a lot of opportunities for balancing and climbing inside because it's my house and the children are all different ages and it just gets a bit much. But I know I'm very conscious of the fact that I want to provide those opportunities when we have our outside time. Right. And I was just going to say that in within our little classroom, we don't have, you know, a huge climbing structure, but outside we do have some amazing places yeah. to climb and slide and play. And um, we do have a little rocking horse in, in the classroom too. And my mm -hmm. son loves the rocking horse. He loves going to the class to be able to use the rocking horse. So we talked about your four children just a little bit, and we talked about the play silks. Were there any other toys you would say over the years that have, they've played with a lot or they've played with very little? Yeah, I'd say like cardboard boxes are still like a number one in our house. <laughs> So, That's awesome. And your kid, what's, how old is your youngest? My youngest is four and my oldest is 11. Okay. Four yeah. So they stay awesome forever, basically. They really do. And then I'd say, you know, uh, like I, I call them prams still because uh, all my kids grew up in Australia, but strollers, you know, something, it doesn't even have to be a stroller, but something on wheels um, where they can load it up and then push it, I find is uh, they just love it. So it could be a, um, a proper... Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of the little wagon. We have little wagons that kind of have a, in our yeah. parent-child yeah, classroom, exactly. that have like a little handle on them. Um, and it's yes. funny because some kids, they'll pretend, I've seen 
a friend of ours has one also. And Jasper, lo- we don't really have the space for one in our house right now, but um, he pretends, I think sometimes he's pretending it's a lawnmower. His yeah. dad will push the lawnmower, which I think is hilarious, or he'll put mm-hmm. things in like books in it. He just puts all kinds of things in it. I think mm-hmm. maybe he pretends, I mean, at this point, he's not really imagining or pretending he's just doing, you know, at 18 months old. And that's kind of interesting to see um, the difference between like the friends who have the three-year-olds where they're playing like an actual three and four, they're playing like an actual story with Mm -hmm. the toys and with the things. And next to my son, who is just doing, it doesn't look like there's like a, there's no story in his mind or he's not kind of, sometimes he makes noises like he's pretending an action, but not like a story, you know? And it's interesting how that kind of evolves and play over time. Yes, definitely. And I would say, you know, pine cones and seashells, those kinds of things, because they can transform into so many other things. They get played with a lot for food. They pretend pine cones are muffins. Uh, Some of the kitchen stuff, like their actual wooden Waldorf kitchen does get used, but sometimes I have to make it a little bit more real. So um, it has a a beautiful metal bowl uh, attached to it, like the little Waldorf wooden kitchen. And, you know, if I put a little bit of water and, and some soap in there, they're so much more inspired to play um, kitchen because it just feels a little bit more real to them. Or I had um, at parent and child the other day, I took some avocado pits and provided like a little child size grater and a little girl, I gave them to her and showed her how you can grate the stone, the avocado stone. And it just creates this kind of, it looks like cheese, like grating cheese. It makes it that much more real and exciting to them. I've given them coffee beans before dried pasta and then often um like homemade salt dough and then and in that way they play with their kitchens much more but if it's just like a kitchen with not a lot to kind of create and imagine with then it becomes a bit too fixed i found also in like one step up from the cardboard box would be baskets i like we could not get enough baskets in our house it's so funny like i have I've gone to thrift stores and just bought baskets for 50 cents to maybe $3, big wicker baskets or medium-sized ones. And I use them to store the toys in to keep everything kind of tidy and everything has a home. But what has happened more often than uh, actually playing with the toys is that the toys get dumped out and they use the baskets for something else. So I would say that that's a really top toy for us. What would you say about, I guess, the older ones? I just, I think in my mind, I have this little 18 month old and we have friends who are kind of up to like three. Um, So what about the ages uh, like seven to, you know, your oldest is 11. What kind of toys does that grade school age child Mm -hmm. uh, play with and be entertained with for long periods of time? So my older two, because they have two younger siblings, they can kind of weave in and out of the imaginary play with them or else they can spend hours not really, quote unquote, playing. And I I, someone once told me play is not so much that you're like it's it doesn't have to always be imaginary for for adults, for example, play is just like something that you really enjoy doing if you can extend the idea of play as we get older. So yeah, they, when they play with the little ones, the older ones often like setting things up for them. So they play airplanes all together and they drag cushions and, you know, sheets around and make like an airplane or make a cubby or something like that. Uh, my nine-year-old might play with the little girl sometimes, like they'll play sister and they'll set up something with food or something like that. But the older ones, they spend a lot more time reading and making things <laughs> and that's their play. So the older ones, uh, yeah, they either read their own books or they listen to audible stories. And then my son is very into like tinkering around with wires and uh, electrical things and and, like little light bulbs. He's so past my understanding of any kind of engineering. But we got a subscription to the Tinker Crates for a little while for him. And they come with like these boxes where you can set up a little like light circuit, for example. And he, now we keep all the pieces. So once he's actually, cause it is very close ended. It's like the goal is to make a specific thing. But the nice thing about those is that then you can take them apart and he has the knowledge, understanding of how something works electrically. And he can then recreate something himself. 
So uh, he's made a few dollhouses as presents for the girls out of cardboard boxes. And then he's like used his little wiring and his batteries and made like he's made like a, a laundry machine that turns round Whoa. and round. And he's added like chandeliers with lights that like light switches that work for the girls and things like that. Wow, I'm so uh, impressed. He loves that. Um, for whenever he creates something like that, I just think like, oh, this is this is what screen free does, because, you know, there are so many phases that they go through as they get older where they they say that they're bored they're bored they're bored I've really tried to push through I mean my generally they need to find something to do themselves and then my my daughter on the other hand is just obsessed with handwork again I am not very good at handwork so she's far surpassed me but luckily she gets it she learns things at school and then she brings it home and creates her own thing so she's really into crocheting and knitting and you know she gets into drawing uh, so she spends a lot of time in her room making things like that on the weekends. So it sounds uh, like at that age, kind of their interests and passions start to influence their quote unquote play, which like you're saying, it's kind of starting to move from actual imaginary play into mm-hmm. more of a creative uh, play. Yeah. And they want, they have like a real desire. There's like a change, I'd say like um, between maybe eight and nine, where when they create things, just like they would, they, they create things when they're little and they're playing, but when they're around eight or nine, they really want that thing that they're creating to be useful. Like they don't want it to just be like a pretend or not, not as often, you know, a pretend kitchen with some pretend Play-Doh and, and, you know, you're serving tea. Like, you know, my older children actually want to cook something in the kitchen and make it useful. Or my son, We'll go outside and try and set traps for animals. Not that, <laughs> not that he would ever catch something, but he's like trying to work out the how, how it all works and how the rope would move when the animal stepped here. And, you know, it's like it's more useful in his mind. That's so interesting. I almost wonder if that this is just me kind of thinking out loud, I guess, about that kind of play. I wonder if it's in that age, just finding a place or sense of purpose in the world beyond just their own world. Does that make sense? And maybe that's part of like the nine year change, even that kind of you're coming out and like, oh, there's all these other things around me. And I'm like a contributing piece of this puzzle. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, definitely. And they become much more social in their play as they get older, too. Yeah, that's yes, for sure. I mean, I kind of observed that a little bit. I mean, just as I mentioned, my son is not not in the social. He has his three year old has um, a friend of ours that has this three-year-old is kind of the one we spend the most time with. And she plays whole games around him that he has like no idea what's going on. And she's like, got yeah. this whole story going on. It is the funniest thing to watch. And he just kind of goes along with it, but mostly is just doing his own thing. Um, and yeah, just the older, the older they get, the more like you're mentioning, mm-hmm. just socially involved they get too. They have like, he's in the parallel play. And then yes. uh, as they're in that like middle, early childhood, like three to five and a half, six, they get into that real imaginary play. And then when they're six, seven, and they're about to hit that six year change, they get into this very directive play where most of the play is about setting up the scene, but then they, and and telling people what, what role they have, and you're going to do this and we'll set up this. And they actually don't end up playing the thing that they set up very much. It's more just the, the creative process. Are you listening to this wondering, where do I find amazing Waldorf toys like the ones we're talking about in this episode? Where do I find playthings made of the most beautiful natural materials? Well, let me tell you about my favorite Waldorf toy shop, Palumba. Palumba, loosely meaning wooden dove, was formed in 2007 to fill the need for the desire to have safe, high-quality, all-natural toys made in the U.S. This need was discovered after the owners, Judy Alexander's first son, was born in 2001. Back then, it was difficult to even find organic food outside of joining a buying group. Palumba's selection of products are carefully selected to ensure that they're made of wood, wool, silk, and cotton, along with other natural materials. As some of you may know, I have a seriously high standard for any company that I want to share with you as a Waldorf podcast supporter. With Palumba, it was an easy choice. I actually reached out to them to see if they'd be interested in collaborating. Their commitment to quality is second to none. Almost all of their products are made by them in Michigan. A handful of items then come from a women's cooperative in Peru, while the majority of items are made inside the U.S. Palumba is also the only retailer that features the complete Camden Rose line. Camden Rose's commitment to durability, beauty, natural, and renewable materials make them the American leader in eco-friendly natural toy and children's furniture design. If you homeschool, 
or for anyone in the need of them, they also have the best supply of Waldorf art supplies, including craft materials and even main lesson books. You can check out Palumba at palumba.com. That's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com. You can also check out a list of my absolute favorite Waldorf toys at waldorfy.com forward slash favorite toys. And that's favorite as we spell it in the U.S. for those of you who are abroad. I just can't wait for you to check out Palumba. It's really my absolute favorite place to find the most high quality, beautiful Waldorf toys. So I think we touched on this just a little bit earlier and maybe was intentional of Steiner, but we're not sure. The eco-friendliness of Waldorf toys. We mentioned being made of natural materials. That's pretty advantageous to eventually breaking down in the landfill. The other piece of being simple and natural is also being a little minimalistic. How do you tackle that in your household? You have four kids and, you know, there are birthdays and Christmases and kids create things. And, you know, if your kids are going to a Waldorf school, they're making things too that they're bringing home. So how do you manage that in your own home? And what is kind of too many toys, I guess, even in, uh, you know, if you're kind of have a little Waldorf home play setting, you know, going on, it can become overwhelming, you know, with, with, uh, different toys coming in the house over the years. And, you know, I also wonder on the other end of it, what is like too minimalistic? Because in our house, we have like very few toys. I just find, I think to myself for an example, my mother-in-law, we're living with my in-laws right now while we're building our house. She gave Jasper, my son, a little like massager and it has four wheels and it's a truck. It's a tractor. I mean, and I keep wanting to get him a truck or tractor, but I haven't yet because he just keeps playing with it. And I just haven't found the need. And I'm just wondering, um, you know what, and he has like one stuffed animal really maybe two. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, you know, what is kind of too minimalistic on the other end of, of that question? I don't know what too minimalistic is. I think we, I, I think it's almost impossible to go too minimalistic. Right, I don't especially think if you can play outside, then. You know. Yeah, exactly. And I think as long as they have toys, some open-ended toys, so they can, you know, the the silks would be an example and some baskets and, uh, you know, maybe some salt dough to create things with. And then they, and pillows, access to pillows would be amazing pine cones and stones, you know, like almost all of these now cost nothing. Even when my son was little and we were on a really tight budget, I went to a thrift store and I, instead of buying the expensive Waldorf silks, I just went through like the old lady silks that, <laughs> that are hanging all in a rack and that, you know, they're just these like very silk scarves that ladies would wrap around their neck or tie around their head. And those mm -hmm. were amazing too. So on the and other end of that, how do you manage like I was mentioning, you have four children, how like the volume over time, you know, that accumulates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just try to keep, uh, well, I, I try not to have more than like a few of one thing or one of one thing. So a truck, for example, I would really only have one wooden truck out. I wouldn't have a whole collection. And, and I try to make sure that it kind of ticks all the boxes. So it's, you know, you're able to load and dump with it. And it's more open-ended, so it doesn't have like a lot of buttons and make a lot of noises because a lot of those trucks you can get and they're, they're like the top is closed and you can't even really load them up. They kind of just have like a little chute at the back that you could push open. I, I would opt for one that has like an open back so that they can load them up. You know, dolls, uh, it depends on the family. But if you only have one child, I think one doll would be more than enough, whereas we have a few children and I run a parent and child. So I think we have three dolls out and things like block, even blocks, you know, we have a little bit of a collection of blocks that we've, that have added up over the years, but they're pretty minimal. And as for, you know, well-meaning people offering gifts. Yeah. Um, that was my next question is how do you deal and mitigate like people giving you the plastic stuff or like overwhelming mm -hmm. children with gifts at the holidays? So my my parents-in-law have been like very receptive to things that I um, kind of approve of and don't approve of. And my mother-in-law has been really great with that. And she found this little Waldorf-inspired shop in Melbourne and she loves going to it and choosing a few little fairies for the, the girls. And uh, so that's been easy. And then with um, aunts and uncles and, and other grandparents, you know, I kind of just let it, I've kind of, I've, I've given lists out of things that I like or given gift suggestions. 
but generally I kind of just let whatever, and, and I've also, you know, said straight up no about certain things. So I really have discouraged nail polish and makeup for the girls, for example, because that it's hard to believe, but it's like really a big thing in early childhood, like the play makeup and the play nail polish and the nail decals and all of that. So I've really tried to discourage that as much as possible. And then, uh, you know, I've said a big no to Barbies, but then my mom found the tutorials where you can transform the, the Bratz dolls into these kind of like very simple dolls. So she bought a few of those for my older daughter and they they wiped cleaned the faces off of them, took all the paint off of them and then repainted them really simply, which was a nice project for them. But again, the girls have never, barely ever played with those dolls because they're just so close ended. Um, they're hard to get dressed too, to put outfits on them. The outfits are so small. You lose the pieces so quickly. They're not my favorite. So in, in that case, <laughs> I kind of just, I really keep an eye out. The, the younger the child, the easier it is. But even with older children, I keep an eye out of for when a child gets sick of a toy that I don't really love anyway. And I put it away in a box in the basement. And if they still don't ask for it after, you know, a week, two weeks, a month, then I often just put it in a giveaway pile. And, you know, I've given away countless toys over the years that way, especially stuffed animals, because, you know, somehow children end up with just hundreds of stuffed animals over the years. But the last thing I'd say is that for birthday parties, we have always asked either for no gifts at all. And sometimes I've asked for no gifts at all. Sometimes I've asked for either a book or some some kind of art supply. So I've really specified that, you know, new crayons or new paints or whatever it is. I don't get so picky, you know, that we have to only have Waldorf art supplies because I think using a wide range of artistic materials is actually really nice for children to explore and experiment with. And this past birthday for my six-year-old, it was her first birthday party mostly just because I have four children and I can't do birthday parties all the time. <laughs> um, she, I asked that every child bring something a little, I think I described it as a little treasure. And so, and then I described how children make a treasure out of everything. So it could be just like a little glass dewdrop or one of their crystals, or they could make a little something that was, you know, really inexpensive and really just from their heart. And you don't even really have to involve yourself as an adult with that present, you know, if they just found or if they found a toy that they were tired of, anything like that. And that went over so well. I still ended up with like the funniest, most eclectic things, but I didn't feel guilty because nothing was new. And, you know, it was so exciting for my daughter because they were the very eccentric, weird gifts and everything was very meaningful because it came really from that child and what that child thought was special and what they thought that she would love. So that was one of my favorite gift suggestions. That, that I've ever is made. such a good idea. I love that idea. And I've mentioned this before, actually, uh, as a resource for parents, you have a really great uh, birthday guide on your website, which we'll mention at the end of this episode. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned in there is not really the idea of not having more children than how old the child is at a mm -hmm. birthday party it makes it really simple and enjoyable. Um, children get just overwhelmed and overstimulated so easy. And I just loved that idea. It was so, mm -hmm. so wonderful. So yeah, it's, that's really the, one of the hardest things to navigate. I feel like is the gift times, especially if you know, the area that you live in or your family are not so in tuned to what, uh, you're kind of doing with the Waldorf thing, or if you're just mm -hmm. starting to kind of get get into it or find it and understand, I guess, the purpose and meaning, you know, with Waldorf toys. I mm -hmm. think that a, a good place for parents to start, especially with grandparents specifically, if you're kind of starting to get into it and you want to introduce the idea to them, would maybe be to take them to a holiday fair, especially it's if it's before, um, if you celebrate Christmas, if it's before that time. Holiday fairs, almost every Waldorf school has a holiday fair um, and they have crafts and they often have vendors um, selling toys like mm -hmm. the ones that we've described. And I feel like that's kind of a good place for grandparents to get to see like a full Waldorf community. Um, in full swing and, and kind of get a picture of what you're trying to create in your home if they get to go into a kindergarten or something. So mm -hmm. often, I mean, those holiday fairs, basically our holiday fair is this weekend at our school. There's first weekend of December and second week of December, I would say is usually when when they're happening in in this 
area of the mm-hmm. world. I don't know if you can speak to Australia. Do they have, are they on like a break now? Do they have their holiday? Yeah, they're actually on their summer break at Christmas time. And they do have some crafting fairs leading up to Christmas, usually right at the end of school. That's, do you have anything else that you want to add about Waldorf toys, Megan? I do have one other question actually for you, if you don't have any other tidbits. I have toys. one thing to add, just definitely. I, I feel it's important to add because we can get so perfectionist about like this Waldorf idea and the perfectly the the perfect Waldorf environment and I already mentioned about Legos that I you know we've had them in our home off and on I don't they're not my favorite toy and they've never been my kids favorite toy but uh what has been an absolute favorite toy of my children's are um like formed dolls as we began the conversation with my daughter got gifted one actually I think my my oldest daughter got gifted one uh, it was like from a thrift store or something or I can't remember but she named it Zoha after a little boy that was in her parent and child group she wouldn't have been you know she was I think less than three she fell in love with it and then my next daughter like a few years later got a little plastic doll I don't I can't remember what they're called at first I was kind of resistant and then I was like, why am I being resistant? You know, they really love these dolls and they each each of them now has their own doll that they adore and they've really taken care of and they play. It inspires so much like nurturing play. So I, I think like a whole collection of them would make it way less special, but not to, you know, tear away every toy that your child has. If there is a toy that doesn't maybe fall under what you would consider a Waldorf toy category, but your child is, you know, in love with it and you can see that it inspires play for whatever reason, kind of like that massage roller that you mentioned, you know, like (laughs) in my mind, that is a Waldorf toy then. So the last question that I have for you, and I'm asking this after having had you on the show three times, you're such a great guest. You are so knowledgeable. I'm my thing. And I wonder if this is going to be, I've not prepared you with this question. I wonder if it's kind of going to be an awkward (laughs) one. We'll see is, and I'm sure so many people listening have followed your work for a long time, your blog posts, you're an, an amazing writer that I admire. And mom, you know, you just are such an inspiring person, really. I wonder like if you were in my mom's circle, I almost would feel so intimidated. You know, do you find like, how does that work for you in in life? <laughs> like, you know, question. so much about you've read so much. I mean, like, and we'll at the end of the episode, I want to talk about this. You have some um, like Amazon like lists where people can find your recommendations, toys, books, that sort of thing. And you have a great resource list at your at your site, which I've, you know, found so many books on. And I just wonder, like, does that ever come up for you? Like you're like this super mom or do you have feelings <laughs> sometimes where people are like they think I'm this super mom and really I don't have it together? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more of the latter. You know, I am not a super mom at all. I'm just like everybody else. Waldorf, I've been interested in and researched and kind of educated myself about Waldorf for a good decade now. So I have some knowledge under my belt, but really I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. And, you know, when I think of these interviews and, you know, often I think, oh, would my like Waldorf parent and child elder, you know, agree with what I'm saying. Sometimes I don't think they would at all. So I feel kind of against the grain with Waldorf. Um, But yeah, I did. I went to a blessing way this weekend and a woman introduced herself and said that she'd been a longtime follower. And yeah, and and I went, I did a parent, a parent teacher talk at a Waldorf school recently. And I was introduced as like having somebody almost famous. And I was like, <laughs> this is, it's so ridiculous. You know, like there's a, it's a very small sphere and niche of people that I inspire. And it's, it's humbling and honoring to, to think that I'm inspiring these people. But I've always just tried to be as authentic as I can and to be inclusive. And I'm, I try to highlight my flaws. You know, I get a lot of help at home with the children now. I didn't when they were young younger, but I do have a lot of help now. So I'm not doing it all. And we still have, you know, our individual struggles with each child. Each child is so unique. You know, I'm going through a whole phase right now with my six-year-old because she hates school. She's in senior kindergarten and she's in the kindergarten with her little sister who's in junior kindergarten. They're in the same class and her little sister loves it. And she, she loves it when she's at school, but she's got this whole mental thing about how she doesn't want to go to school. And, you know, she gets very anxious about it. She's always been 
a little bit more on the anxious side out of our children. So I'm going through all of those struggles and am I doing the right thing or have I said this wrong or, you know, how can I fix her rhythm to support her more? You know, I'm, I really feel like I'm just like everyone else, you know, doing the best that I can as a mom and often stumbling and not doing the best. Well, I love it. I love all your work and I have to share and I may link to it on the show notes page for this episode. One of your favorite posts of mine actually is five ways we don't do Waldorf. I just like, (laughs) I loved it. I just like loved everything about it for some reason. It was so beautiful and authentic. And obviously that's what all of us love so much about you. So thank you so much for speaking with me again in this episode. Oh, let's wrap up quickly at the end here. Uh, Just again, mentioning your website where people can find you on social media and we did talk quite a bit about toys and books and you have uh, some resource lists on your website. I'm working on some for my website, although my son is very little. So most of my recommendations are totally in the itty bitty little ones there. So do you want to kind of list where everybody can find you and find that resource list? I think so. So the website's wholefamilyrhythms.com, but probably the easiest way to find what you're looking for is to type to, to type into Google whole family rhythms reading list, or you could even type in the season because my reading lists are by season. So winter reading list, autumn, spring, and actually all the other reading lists are generally linked. If you get to one, you'll find the rest of them. And then in terms of toys, I might Google whole family rhythms gifts. I think there's a post called simple preparations for Advent season. And I think there might be some toys and some recommendations listed there. Actually, I do have a part section of my website. I think it's under resources. So if you can navigate to there. And then there's an article uh, that I love called when it comes to toys, less is more. And that gives you the that kind of outlines the basic steps inspired by Kim John Payne from Simplicity Parenting on how to pare down on your the toys in your home and how to select what toys are great and what toys you might want to give away. Great. We'll have to li- uh, make a link to that article mm-hmm. on the show notes page for this episode. Yeah. And you can be found at Whole Family Rhythms on Instagram as well. Oh, yes, yes, at Whole Family Rhythms on Instagram. Great. Well, thank you again so much for joining me, Megan. Thank you for having me as always. It's uh, always lots of fun and you test my knowledge a little bit. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Thanks so much for listening in, everybody. I would love for you to check out our Patreon page and consider becoming a supporter. To learn more about becoming a supporter, please visit waldorfie.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. As always, I so love all the ways you support the podcast. Another great way to support Waldorfie is to check out our supporters. This episode's incredible supporter, Palumba, is the premier of Waldorf toys. You can check out their site at palumba.com. That's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com. As always, I so appreciate your feedback on this episode. You can always reach me at info.waldorfy at gmail.com or leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode. The show notes page for this episode can be found at waldorfy.com forward slash Waldorf toys and my recommended toys list, my favorite toy list, can be found at waldorfy.com forward slash favorite toys. And that's favorite the way that we spell it here in the US because I know so many of you are abroad. I would so love to connect with you on social media. I'm at bwaldorfy. That's B-E, Waldorfie, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. Thanks again for listening in, everybody. Be well. Be well.